Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Most of us have come to realize that when we live our lives to impress, we end up distressed. When we're trying to impress, we end up depressed. We end up frustrated, empty, because it's never enough. Living trying to impress people is exhausting and it produces more discontentment than you could ever imagine. It's often the case, the more we have, the more we want. God has designed us to find contentment through a relationship with Him. But when we fail to understand His heart and purpose, we can seek to find contentment in other places. In today's message with Pastor Jim, we'll stop and consider our motivations and methods regarding contentment. Living while trying to impress people is exhausting, and trying to acquire things to bring contentment is like grasping for the wind. But believers find contentment in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part two of his message entitled, Is Contentment Even Possible? We had a cat when we got married. I met Pam and fell in love with her, and her cat's name was Pierre. And I was like, I am not living with a cat named Pierre. It's just not happening. So we changed his name to Petey after the dog on the Little Rascals. But, but you know, the, the fact that Petey, now it's Teddy, right, okay, might not be in heaven is just too much. For those of you, the thought of your pets not being in heaven, I, the Bible is inconclusive. Wouldn't surprise me if God did it. I wouldn't be surprised for a minute. And I won't care because I won't have allergies there. And so, but, uh, you know, he's basically saying, you know, how, how do you know that what you think that people are going to go somewhere else? Remember, when everybody dies, they go, oh, they're in a better place. How do you know that's going to happen? And how do you know it's not going to be like the animals where they just go in the ground and they die? That's it. Now, the agnostic, someone who just doesn't know if God exists, just says, well, well no one can know that. No one could know that. That's the position he's taking now. He's the skeptic. He's saying nobody can really know what's going to happen after you die. So verse 22, he gives us the conclusion to the wickedness that he sees in the world. He says, so I perceive that nothing is better that a man should rejoice in his own works. So what's he saying? The best you can do here on earth, if you just die and go on the ground as this, is really make the best of it while you're here. He says, for that is his heritage, or that is his lot. That's what he's destined to. And then look at the next section, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So he says, here's the deal. God tests us. Probably a better way of thinking it in terms of God's up in heaven looking at you going like, eh, sorry, D minus, D minus. You're lucky I'm giving you a D minus, right? That's not, that's not what's going on. Is that God exposes us. God shows us different things about ourselves so we would see that within us there are wicked tendencies. Now, a lot of times we think wicked is, you know, reserved for the worst of the world, but, but just how about selfishness? How about self-centeredness? Just always wanting things to be our way. And then he talks about the destiny that awaits us all, which is, which is death. And sadly, the, the view here is that eventually every man or woman will end up breathless 
and really, if that's the case, that if we just die and we go on the ground, he's really asking the question, if that's true, does our life really matter? Does my life really make a difference? And I always think, like, if, if this was it, why are we living the way we do? Let's turn to our resident atheist scholar, Woody Allen. Woody Allen said this, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I have no problem with death, right? Just, just I, I won't be there. You know, I'll be on vacation when it happens. King Solomon would say, sorry, Woody, you will be there. And if the grave is the end, the best you can hope for is that you like your job. And most people we know hate their jobs. What a satisfying life this is, right? So he says here, how can we know it? I mean, how can we, how can we really be sure about life after death? And the Bible answered the question not only in words, but in a person. God himself became a man. His name was, he was known then as Jesus of Nazareth, or the preacher, or the teacher. And he lived a perfect life in your place and in my place. And then he died on the cross, a sinner's death in your place and in my place. And to prove that God was satisfied with the payment for sins, he rose him from the dead, and Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor, and he will return so that anybody, anybody, I don't care who you are, anybody, whosoever the Bible uses the term, would come to him and put their trust in Jesus, would not perish, would not pay for their own sins, but would have eternal life because Jesus paid for their sins. So Jesus Christ shows us all that this life is not the end. And so for a follower of Jesus, this gives us great hope. It helps us to see the eternal value of our work in a wicked and dying world. It helps us to see that our life really matters. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what's up with this whole lie, living in death cycle? God wants you to turn to him, ask for his forgiveness and his help, and put your trust in his son, the Lord Jesus. He says here at the end of verse 22, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Interesting, that's an interesting thought. Jesus in John chapter 3, a thousand years later, is talking to the, probably the premier scholar in all of Israel, a fellow by the na name of Nicodemus. Interesting, Jesus is schooling the guy. He's like, man, you're the, you're the premier teacher and you don't know this basic stuff. In John 3.13, he says to Nicodemus, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man, who is in heaven, talking about himself, the son of man. He goes, listen, I know what it is because I came from there and I'm going back there. The night before he was crucified, he told his apostles, John 14, he said, listen, men, don't be all stressed out. Don't be all worried. Don't lose heart. I am going to prepare a place for you. And so for a follower of Jesus, actually mortality is a reason to rejoice as we work with joy, we can actually find contentment. Well, number two, the second observation he makes is the world is oppressive. The world is oppressive. 
if you're a guest and you're not familiar with the Bible, you're like, this is depressing. This is known as probably the most depressing book in the Bible. So we'll try and rescue it if we can because of Jesus. But the world is oppressive. Chapter four, verse one, he says, then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Uh, One Bible scholar put it this way, that the Bible would say that oppression, if you take all the different references to oppression, it comes down kind of this. Oppression is defrauding and robbing your neighbor. And so he's seen all of this oppression, people looking out for themselves. And then he goes to verse 2 and verse 3, the conclusion of oppression, probably the most depressing verses in Ecclesiastes, right? So we're only going up from here, gang. Don't worry about it. He says, therefore I praised or I was happy for the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. So look at that, man. So he's like, so I took a walk down to the graveyard and I started talking to the gravestones. And I started saying, you lucky duck, man. You're so lucky. You're already gone. You're not living in this complete mess that we have here. Verse three. And as he's talking, he thinks about it, right? Yet, Better than both is he who has never existed. That's what Jesus said about Judas Iscariot, the traitor, the one who turned him in. He said, actually, it would have been better for that man had he never lived. Yet better than both, again, verse 3, is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So here we're told something that we already know, that the world is full of powerful people, who rule over the powerless. And the powerless people essentially have no hope. So it's the same today as it was in King Solomon day. Now for some, not for all of us, but for some, oppression can be so bad, you think it would be easier if I was dead. In fact, oppression can be so bad, it would have been better if I had never been born. Well, you're actually, if you've ever felt that way, you're actually in some pretty decent company. You know, the prophet Elijah felt the same way. The prophet Jeremiah felt the same way. And I'm sure it's easy for us, I know it is for me, to look at this world sometimes and I turn on the TV and I look at the wickedness of this world. And sometimes I just want to be like, God, are you kidding me? Really, are you kidding me? You look at the terrorism that goes on. You look at the violence that goes on. You look at sex trafficking and prostitution, the exploitation of the weak. I got a letter this week from one of the missionary organizations that we support, International Justice Mission, and they they were so excited because they took a girl, one girl out of the sex trafficking industry and, and I celebrated with them. And some people might say, well, listen, there's so many people involved in that. But, you know, you pull them out one at a time. And so, so very excited for, for that girl and, and hoping that God has just this great plan for her and she's ready to, to walk in it. Psalm 74:20 says this, For the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. Friends, there are places in this world where angels weep where they see how some people are treated and the angels just cry. And we look at those things and and how do they affect us? 
Because there's another guilty party here that's hidden in this text. And it's one that the younger generation is always well aware of. And this younger generation is no exception. They are very well aware of this. There's a guilty party, and they are the people who don't help. It's all well and good to say we care, but there's action involved as well. I know a lot of Christians hear about the comforter, and we automatically you know, think about the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, comforter is someone who would help, someone who would protect. You think of Jesus warning people not to stumble, little ones, saying, man, it would be better if a big stone were tied around your neck and you were cast to the bottom of the ocean. I think about Jesus going into the temple where, where they had made it all about the money. And Jesus walks in and in righteous indignation, he is throwing the tables over because people are getting the wrong idea about his father because of what's going on in the temple and what's going on in the church. Sometimes I watch those guys on television with the vast crowds talking about money, 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 money. And if you give money, uh, you'll be rich and all this kind of stuff. And so many of those people are poor. And they leave Christianity and then there's a whole new crowd that comes in because they're looking for, for something that this man is lying to people about. And I just picture Jesus walking into that church and flipping over the tables. Just flipping it over. And saying, that guy's a liar. And don't listen to him. Yet on the other hand, we see in the Gospels the compassion of Jesus walking around offering the forgiveness of sins, walking around healing people, raising the dead, ultimately giving his own life on the cross for people. I guess in the pastor circles that I run in, I, I constantly hear that we need more preachers of God's word, and I don't disagree we live in a Christian age where people are just not taking their people through the Bible anymore. They read a verse and then they just jump into the pool of their own opinion. And people are just walking around the stage, not saying much of anything, not wanting to offend anyone except God, by the way. And people are saying we need more preachers who are going to actually get up there and just say the truth, whether people like it or not, just going to speak on God's behalf. And I don't disagree, but I actually think we need more good Samaritans in this world. We need more helpers. We need more comforters. You know, if that's you and you think, you know what, I, I, I'm not really good. I don't, I'm not good with talking and theology kind of confuses me. I don't, I don't really understand that too much. Jesus says, hey man, you go out and give somebody a cup of water in my name and heaven's going to notice. Heaven's going to see. You don't have to be a good talker or a fast talker. Just go out and be a comforter. Go out and love people in my name. Well, that brings us to our third observation. The world is envious. The world is envious. Look at verse 4. He said, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, some guys out there working hard, a man is envied by his neighbor. So let's say you got a new car. You worked hard for it, okay? You come in your driveway, your neighbor's like, oh, got to get one of them. Or same thing. Your neighbor working hard, comes in with his new car, got to get one of them, Right? Some people are like, oh, well, I'm not like that. Well, new house, new cell phone, new whatever, <laughs> right? And he says, this is also uh, vanity and grasping for the wind. 
So the Bible writer here tells us an interesting that he's, it's King Solomon or writing about King Solomon, the guy who had everything, who just keeps building and building and building. We've already come past. He was partying and partying, partying. He says that, that really much of the world is driven by envy. Did you know that much of our economy is driven by envy? Right? Every time you watch a commercial, just say, did they just try to school me on why I need what they have or I won't be a complete person? Always, the, I, I'm the worst to watch commercials with. I like the commercials better than the shows. I'm like, look at what they're saying, right? Is they're just trying to convince you that if you buy their product, their product will not only, they'll not only deliver a product, but they'll deliver a level of satisfaction that you can have. And you could never call them up on it. I mean, like, hey, listen, your product, I thought I'd be happy after I had it. They're like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> We're selling vacation homes. <laughs> We didn't promise that you'd be happy. Go see your doctor or something like that. But here's the thing, that envious living easily discards the two greatest commandments, doesn't it? It easily discards loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Mark 15.10 tells us that even Pontius Pilate realized that the chief priests handed Jesus over to be crucified because of envy. They didn't like the fact that Jesus had become so popular. And so to think that we're not getting our fair share, to think that we're entitled, to think that we deserve more, we have to have more, starts to drive our motivations and our hearts instead of Jesus Christ. Now, is it okay to want more? Yes. Part of the reason why God gives his people more is so to bless them and so they can be more generous But you have to ask yourself, is the desire for more, has it now become the driving force in your life? And most of us have come to realize that when we live our lives to impress, we end up distressed. When we're trying to impress, we end up depressed. We end up frustrated, empty, because it's never enough. Living trying to impress people is exhausting and it produces more discontentment than you could ever imagine. And it's often the case, the more we have, the more we want. And not just things, it can be our circumstances, right? That we have a way we expect life to be. And if we're not careful, living life that way, wanting more becomes our God. Wanting life the way we want it becomes our God. And we have to be very, very careful. So there's three observations that the world is wicked, the world is oppressive, and the world is envious. And so that he ends with with three choices that people tend to make in the chaos of life. Verse 5 and 6 are Proverbs. He says, verse 5, The fool folds his hands. So the fool looks at the world and does what? I ain't doing nothing. I'm doing nothing. You say, what happens to someone who does that? I throw up my hands. That's it. I'm done. I don't, and people do this in the church, right? I've had it. I'm done with all this. And look at the word picture. And consumes his own flesh. God says that if you fold your hands, you do nothing, you'll consume yourself. You will be on a path to self-destruction. In verse 6, you're like, finally you got to our verse, Jim. Come on, step it up. Another proverb, better is a handful. Note, that's a single handful. The first guy, the fool, threw both of his hands up in the air, closed his hands, didn't want any part of it. 
better with a single hand or a hand with quietness than both hands full. So better to have one hand full, doing your work, doing your thing, and one hand free than to have both hands so full together with toil, we might say with stress and grasping for the wind. So here you have someone whose, whose hands there, they fold their hands. Are their hands open to receive blessings from God? No, not at all. Then you have another person on the other end of the spectrum has both hands full. They fill themselves with all kinds of stuff that this world has to offer. Do they have any opportunity to get blessings from God? They can't. God's like, hey, I want to bless you with something. Uh, can't, God, hands full, sorry, right? And so here the, the proverb is telling us better to have one hand full of what you're doing here at, on this earth and another hand open for what God has for you. So overwhelmed by chaos, some people will say, that's it, I'm done. I'm not doing anything anymore. I'm finished. And the Bible says, that's a fool. The idea that is that idleness, that laziness, isolation, which we'll get into the next section, leads to a dangerous inward way of looking at life. Now, friends, let me ask you, is that you? Is that, no, listen, it's a holiday. I'm at church, Jim. Come on, it obviously couldn't be me. Well, it could be, couldn't it? Or what about the friends that you have that have already thrown up their hands? They're done with it. And you're, and you're sitting around going, ah, somebody needs to give him a call. You're right. Somebody needs to give him a call. <laughs> right? Somebody needs to give him a call. You're like, who? Look in the mirror. <laughs> the same is true when both hands are full. People striving and stressing for more. What, ha- what does that do in the life of, of God's people? Well, it leads them to compromise, right? Some people will do anything to get more. It leads them to Emptiness. It leads them to a weak faith. A thousand years after this, after Jesus, shortly after Jesus had ascended to heaven, the writer of Hebrews said this, Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Wow. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, talking about Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You say, how can I be content with what I have? Because Jesus is with you. So the writer of Hebrews and Solomon totally agree that contentment is found. Interesting, a guy who had everything finally comes to this conclusion. Contentment is found in having enough and being satisfied with what you have and living for eternity and walking in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who said he would never leave you or forsake you here on earth. Look at this through the lens of being an American. As Americans, we are conditioned to believe that being rich and famous will satisfy. Right? Let me draw your attention to those um, grand pieces of literary masterpiece the magazines at the checkout counter in the supermarket or in Target or Walmart or wherever you shop. There we have, each magazine has a picture of a different person who is rich and famous. (laughs) Do they look satisfied? (laughs) Misery, pure misery. We went last summer to Martha's Vineyard and, and Nantucket and uh, when we were in Nantucket, this guy was telling me his father owns this maintenance business. And, and I'm like, so all these guys, these billionaires fly in on their jets, huh? He was like, yeah, man. 
And he's like, and then they fly in all their friends. I'm like, why? He's like, because these guys have normal friendships. They have to fly in their friends to have a party with them. And then, uh, you know, I had a friend who uh, did some security work for a very well-known billionaire. And he said, man, you'd go someplace and you'd get these phone calls, right? You got a guy who's worth billions and they go, I want 20 million or I'm blowing up your plane. Just constantly, constantly uh, living with that. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you have heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions that you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible-teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you, so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to connect with Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is available on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.